This week's parasha is parasha's Kairach. And at the Aliyah of Chamishi, we find that HaKadosh Baruch Hu commands Meshur Rabbeinu after the terrible mutiny that Kairach Vadasai waged against Meshur Rabbeinu, Hashem commands Meshur Rabbeinu to take from every one of the Shvatim, all the Nesim, all the leaders of the tribes of Klai Yisrael should put their staff into a collective pool of staffs. The Mata of Aaron, the staff of Aaron, should be in the middle of all of them. And then wait to see what will happen the next day. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says that the Mata that will blossom and will sprout forth uh, vegetation or fruits that will be the mata that I have chosen as a leadership, as the main leader of Klal Yisrael after Meshur Rabbeinu, of course. And the Pasuk says that after that was done, the parach mata Aaron lebeis levi, the mata of Aaron was the one that sprouted, vayatsa perach vayatzes tzis vayigmal shkeden. And this mata of Aaron miraculously sprouted, it blossomed and it bore almonds, which means that there was a process by which the almonds actually developed on the stick as if it was a tree, as if it was a normal tree. Of course, this was uprooted from the ground years ago. It was the stick of Aaron, but yet it showed how HaKadosh Baruch Hu chose Aaron over the other Shvatim to lead Klal Yisrael. The Briskarov asks, why does the Torah tell us the way that the fruit was actually developing, that it actually was producing flowers and blossoms and sproutings, and then and also it had shkedim? Like, what difference does it make? Just tell us the, the cut to the chase. Tell us the bottom line. The bottom line is that there was shkedim on the on the stick. That was the main thing. The main thing was that the fruit developed uh, from nothing into fruit, into shkedim. Does it matter that there is also tzitzin and prachim that were in the process of the evolution of the shkedim? That, that seems to be irrelevant. So the briskarov answers based on a Gemara in Yuman, Daphne and Beza Medbez. And the Gemara there says, Mishenignaz Arin, from the time that the Arin was buried somewhere on the Harabayas. So Nigniza, Emites, and Senes Haman, other things were buried together with the Aaron. What else was buried with the Aaron? That's in Senes Haman, the jar of Mun, that was supposed to be a memory for all time of how Kaddish Baruch provided us Mun in the Midbar. There was a jar of Shemen HaMishcha. And finally, there was a Makolo Shel Aaron. There was buried as well the stick of Aaron, the staff of Aaron, Ushkedeha, with its almonds on it, Uprocheha. The Gemara adds the flowers, the buds, were still also on it, which means that it wasn't just merely uh, a process through which all of the, all of the Shkedim became Shkedim, but it actually was, you actually saw the evolution of the Shkedim. The prachem remained prachem, and the tzitzin remained prachem, and then there were shkedim as well. But it wasn't just that everything became shkedim. 
some of them did not become shkaden. Some of them remained in the parach state, in the tzitz state of development. And that's what we see from this Gemara. If you look in the Taisis Yishanim there, the Taisis Yishanim asks, why are the prachem there? L'chaira, there were shkedim. What, what does prachem have to do with it? What are these flowers, the bloomings, that are the stage before the shkedim develop? And so he says that the nira ki miktas ha-prachem nisharu, some of the prachem remained. That they did not develop into full-fledged shkedim. They remained prachem, minisharu prachem. So the Briskarov explains this taisi shanim as follows. Why is it that this is necessary? Why is it that on the staff of Aaron there were prachim as well as the shkedim, even after the end? It wasn't just merely at an early stage of development that there were prachim, but even at the end, that next morning, when Maisha Rabbeinu came to the isle and found the prachim, found the shkedim, it was still prachem and shkedim, meaning there were shkedim, there were prachem. Some of the prachem, says Rabbeinu Hanan, the Taisi did not fully develop into almonds. They stayed prachem, they stayed flowers. Why did that happen? So the Briskarov wants to say that the sign that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave that he was going to choose Aaron was that the man that I chose of all the Nesim his matter will be Yifrach. It doesn't say his matter is going to be Sheshanim. It says that it's going to be Shkedim, rather. It says that his matter will be Pireach. It will develop, it will blossom. Meaning that the sign that Aaron was the leader of Klal Yisrael amongst the Nesim, he was the head of the tribe, and he was the main primary leader amongst all the leaders, was the fact that his matter was the one that was Pireach. It sprouted. So the Briskarov says that's why some of the prachim remain prachim, because it wasn't merely to get to the shkedim point, but you want to see the full evolution of the prichav, the flourishing of the mata. So when Moshe Rabbeinu came the next morning to check out the mata, he saw that the mata of Aaron had shkedim, but they also had the prachim and the tzitz, meaning you were able to scientifically uh, see the entire process by which the shkedim developed. And the Briskarov takes it back to the Pasuk, and that's why the Pasuk says that the Mata of Aaron was Pireach, Vayatza Perach, Vayatza Tzitz, Vayigmal Shkedim, meaning it wasn't just telling us how it happened, it told us the way that the Mata looked. When Meshur Rabbeinu came and found it, he found it with the Tzitz, and he found it with the Prachim, and with the Shkedim, but all the stages of the development were there for everyone to see how this happened. Now, after the Briskarov, I guess we have to ask a question, and that is, what's the underlying message for us to take from this? Why did HaKadosh Baruch Hu deem it necessary to show the pricha, the flourishing of the Mata of Aaron? Not only to have it happen, but also to make sure that some of the prachim remain prachim and the tzitzin remain tzitzin, and that you saw the actual development the next morning of the Shkedim, and that for all time this was going to be buried together with the Aaron, and for all time we have in this world a proof to the selection of Aaron amongst all the others, 
and that his mata not only develops shkedim miraculously, but we get to see the exact way that it develops shkedim. What I wanted to suggest was, and I think it's Emmas, is that what exactly was Kairach Vadasai thinking? What were they thinking? How does this go through a person's mind? Imagine if all of a sudden one day a person has a, a mishagas in his head and he says, I want to be the God of Adar, and why does Rebchaim Kanievsky get to be the God of Adar? I want to be the God of Adar. And as a result of that, he basically um, starts making a whole revolution again. Is he crazy? <laughs> what do you, what, what's going through your mind starting off with Rebchaim Kanievsky? Who do you think you are? Like, where, where did that come from? Where did that Ruach Shtus emanate from? You don't know who you're going up against? You don't know that he's the God Ladar? The only answer that a rational human being might feasibly come up with is that you think, well, listen, I'm a rabbi, I have smicha, I learn, I have leadership qualities, I have good yichas, I have a great personality, and Reb Chaim is also, a, you know, he's a, he's a gadol, and he's a, he's a very big Talmud Chacham, he's a rabbi, uh, he has a following, and he, uh, but we're basically, you know, we, we could basically go toe-to-toe, because we're both rabbis, we're both, uh, we both, uh, you know, I did, I did Shas through Daf Yaimi, he does Shas every day, you know, but we're sort of on the same, uh, on the same page, and so I could theoretically rationalize maybe, you know, somehow in a, in a crazy day that I could go toe-to-toe with Rebchaim Kanievsky. What's the flaw in my, in, my, in my logic, though? What's my flaw in my logic? The flaw in my logic is that you're seeing Rebchaim Kanievsky today, and you see he's a big rabbi and whatever, but you don't understand that Rebchaim Kanievsky did not develop overnight into Rebchaim Kanievsky, you're seeing the end result, and you think, okay, wow, so he's a, he's a stipler son, and he, had, you know, he was born in the right place, the right time, or whatever, and so I could also do that. If I would learn 50 years in Mitzvah Shem, I'll also become uh, Reb Chaim Kanievsky. But you don't understand what Reb Chaim Kanievsky is. Reb Chaim Kanievsky is not Reb Chaim Kanievsky because today you know, he's in his 90s, and he's the God of and people come to him for brachas. Every single day of his life, He was growing, he was prospering, he was flourishing, he was chazering, he he had a melus batayra, he had kedusha, he had shmira senayim, he had tara, he had, uh, you know, he he was, he he surrounded himself by G'dayli Yisrael, the chazanish and the stipler and many others, Rav Shach, he wrote svarim, he he developed chidushim, he was, he's been learning, he's been churning tayra, for close to a century. When you start up with Rebchaim Kanievsky, you're not starting up with Rebchaim Kanievsky, you're starting up with, with 90 years of Amelis Batayra, of, of Tara, of Kedusha, of Yerushamayim, of the highest caliber. That's the flaw in Kairach. Kairach saw Meish and Aaron, he said, listen, Meish and Aaron, Tamidacham, Amit Amrachacham, Meish and Aaron, um, you know, nice people, I'm a nice person. Meishanar Yichas, I have the same Yichas. So he sort of like said, I, I could do this. I could, I could challenge them. And I could make up an entire reason why and Kikalaida Kulam Kedashim, we're all holy. Rav Lachem B'nei Levi, it's not fair. And I'll get, I'll be a rabble rouser and I'll get a lot of people, great people involved. 
But the mistake that he made was he was looking at them as they are today. He didn't understand that Moshe and Aaron struggled mightily to become who they are. And they became G'dayli Yisrael not by accident. They became G'dayli Yisrael not because magically some Shkedim developed and that made them G'dayli Yisrael. It was the Pracha, it was the Tzitzin that was growing, all those stages of development to get to the Shkedim that you see today, that's what made them G'daylim. It's not just that they poof became G'daylim. When you see a Gadol Yisrael, it's not because they had a great, uh, you know, upbringing or because they had a, a, a Shver that was a Rashiva that gave them a position or whatever. There were many G'daylim that never had positions. They weren't Rabbanim in a, in a, in a regular way, they didn't have a shtaler, they didn't have a, weren't Rosh Hashivas, they weren't uh, Hasidish Rebbes, they're just simple Jews that sat and learned Torah, and Klai Yisrael recognized them as G'day Yisrael. The stipend never, in the last years of his life, you know, since he came to Israel, I don't believe he had a, a regular position in a yeshiva as a, as a Rosh Hashiva. And there are many other people that they never, Reb Chaim Kanievsky never, he doesn't have a formal position, he might be the Nasi of a lot of yeshivas and starting and develop, but he didn't. He doesn't have a formal position as Rosh Hashiva anywhere. Why did Klai Yisrael recognize him as God? Because he's Reb Chaim Kanievsky. Because Hakadosh Baruch Hu selected him because of all of the all of the Amelos and the Tara and the Kedusha and the Das Tara and the and, and the and the Sur and the Asay Taiv and the Hidr Mitzvahs and and all that he did in his life. That's what makes him great. The shkedim are nice. That's the end result. But if you want to understand what a gadol is, you have to understand the, sh- the development process to become that gadol. The challenges that they had and the, and, and the amazing uh, amounts of yigiyah and hasmada and, and kedusha and avasatar yerushamayim that they had, that's what made them gedalim. Moshe from the earliest stage, his godless was attained from an early stage. He didn't become Meshur Abbeinu when he was in the last years of his life in Mitzrayim. He, he went out and he lent a shoulder and, a, and, a, and, a, and an eye and a heart to Klal Yisrael. Even though he was in the base HaMelech, he could have very stayed comfortably in the base Parah, but he went and he was Meshur Nefesh for Klal Yisrael. Aaron was happy for his brother's success, and he, he would have gone out with bands, with orchestras. He would have played for Meshra Abenu to greet him and to welcome him as leader of Klai Yisrael, even though it must have been personally maybe difficult for him. But he rose above his natural, his natural inclinations, and he, that's godless. Godless is all the things that a gadol has to do to become that gadol. That journey that they took, that's what makes them G'day Yisrael. That's something that nobody in the world can challenge Reb Chaim Kanievsky with, Reb Steinemann with, because these are people that 90, 100 years of Amelos Batayra, of Kedusha of Tara, that's what made them into what you see at the end. If they say in Meisuth Reb Steinemann, Reb Steinemann was the Gadol Hadar, he was, Reb Shach basically gave him over the mantle of leadership, and he came. He he was a little um, more lenient, let's say, when it came to things that traditionally the Haredi world were not so lenient about, like about uh, Yeshiva Bachram joining uh, the army. 
he created or he was behind uh, the Nachal Haredi, that if boys are not learning, um, then uh, they, they, they can make a from troop in the army. And a lot of Kanaim in Bnei Brak and beyond were very, very upset by this. They felt this was a break in tradition, and uh, he had no right to do this. And they were Mechutzaf and Gemurim. Rav Steinman was the Galadar, the Tzadik Adar. And they basically protested against him, and they made machais, and they screamed at him every time he would go to speak publicly, and they would put up posters all over uh, the from cities, basically being Mevazatayra, and one time, there was a real mechutzav, and he was like starting a rebellion against Rav Steinemann on this front, and somebody said to him, hey buddy, listen to me. Okay, you're going toe-to-toe with Rav Steinemann? He says, you think you could do that? Let me tell you something. He says, what Rav Steinemann ate in the last 40 years, you ate today. Rav Steinemann, didn't, Rav Sha- Rav Steinemann did not eat he basically had little vitamin tablets. He wanted no enough melmazi. He ate very, very little. He says, "What you, Rav Steinemann ate in forty years, you ate today, and what Rav Steinemann learned today, you learned in forty years, maybe." You don't know what Rav Steinemann is. We look at Rav Steinemann. Okay, he's a rabbi and whatever, and people say this about him, that about him. Rav Shach, you know, he's this, he's that. You know, everyone's they throw lashon hara out about Gedal Israel. You don't know what makes a gadol a gadol. A gadol does he wasn't magically elected president of the United States, you know, because the country was in the mood for change. He became HaKadosh Baruch Hu's choice for the gadol Israel because of his life experience, what he put in. This was the message of the Matas, I believe. What was the, what's the Musa Haskell of the Matas? What is this almonds growing on the Matas? What's that all about? What it's all about is that you're going against Aaron. You think that Aaron is something that you could just knock off and say, I'm like Aaron? I'm going to show you what Aaron is. Aaron is the prachim and the tzitzin and the shkedim. That whole development, that's what makes a gadol a gadol. It's not just puff, he has shkedim growing on his matah. No, you're going to see. You're going to see Mateo Yifrach. I'm going to show you the pricha of the matah, I'm going to show you that the development stages, those important fundamental stages of development before he turned into Aaron Akain, that's critical for you to see, to understand, before you start a rebellion against the God of Israel. This is a very big musr shmuz for all of us to understand what a gadol is. When we speak about Gedalim, we have to have the utmost respect and covet for them because if we don't, it's very, very bad. We're, we're missing, we think that they're just human beings and just like we could speak Lashnara, we, we can't, but just like we think we could speak Lashnara about our next-door neighbor and about our, our roommate, we think we could speak about Gedalim Yisrael in the same way. But a God of Yisrael is a, is a living, safer Torah. And what makes him a living Sefer Torah is the years and years, the decades of work, of hard work, of labor that he put in to become what he is today. And if you start up with that, you're starting up not just with the Shkedim, but all the Prachem and all the Tzitz and all of those decades of Amelus Bater, Yerushamayim, Kedusha Tar, you're going up against all that. You don't have the power to do that.
saw recently an amazing Misa about a girl in seminary who she was looking at a at a book of Gedalim. I really hope it wasn't mine, but um, and she was making fun of her Baruch Bear. She, I don't know what, Rebarach Bear has the most beautiful appearance in the world. I don't know what she could possibly make fun of, but she said something about him that was, that was very uh, degrading. And suddenly her face froze. She, she became paralyzed in her face. And they went to Rav Steinemann, her father, and t- took her to Rav Steinemann and showed, her, showed him her face, I guess, and, and said, like, you know, what happened over here? What can we do? He said, what, what preceded this? So she admitted to him that she had spoken badly about Rabbi Baruch Be'er. She had made fun of him. So he says, well, you have to ask Mechilov. You have to go to his kever with a minion. He told the father, you get a minion, and go to the kever of Baruch Be'er. The only problem was that we don't know where Baruch Be'er's grave was. And so he says, we don't know where Baruch Be'er's grave is. What, what should I do? I don't know where to go, where to find him. Anyway, as a result of this, they basically, it churned up a sudden, like, desperate need to find your Baruch Bear's grave, and the people that are very Isaac with, with graves in Europe, they started getting on the case, and they, I don't know, they had certain simonim, they knew that he was buried um, in a certain, uh, they, they buried him very quickly, and there, his father was buried next to him. They, they knew certain simonim about where in that big cemetery that he was buried, he, his, his kever is. They use, like, infrared technology to, to figure out where his, his grave was, and they finally found it. They dug it up. They put a matzeva on it, and they took a minion there, the father, with, with nine other men. They daven, they asked the mechila, and then her face suddenly became well again. But that's how you have to understand that God will be Israel is not a, a per, he's not a regular person. He's not like you and me. Not somebody that you can go up against and make fun of and say, you know, bad things about and how, uh, like we, we, we tend to do, whether it's our local shul rabbi or whether it's, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a rab in America or a gadol or a shiva. And of course, going up to the top, Reb Chaim Kanievsky and, and, and people of his, of his ilk. But, People that are Rabban and people that are G'daylim in, in a true sense, they come with years and years and decades and decades of Yegiyah and Haravanya, of Shkedim, not just the Shkedim, but the Prachel and the Tzitzel. And HaKadosh Baruch was giving us this message through the Mata, saying, Rabbi said, this is not the way to, you, you don't understand who Aaron is. You think Aaron is just another stick? Aaron is Shkedim? But more than the Shkedim, the Shkedim were preceded by Prachash. You don't have that. Kairach Vadasai, as great as they were, they didn't have the Yegiyah, the Haravanya, the Prachal, the, the Shra. They didn't have that. They obviously didn't have that. If they would have had that, those Yisaitis, they would never have started up with, with a Meshach and with an Aaron. They lacked that fundamental thing that Meshach and Aaron did have. And as a result of that, that was the fatal flaw that they made with going up again. They, they were looking at the Shkedim. I could also have Shkedim. Yeah, you might have Shkedim, but you can't. You buy them in the supermarket, maybe, but you can't organically develop Shkedim on your own like they did. You don't have the Tzitzit and the Prachim, the day-to-day learning and the, and the Shtaigin and the waking up at 2 o'clock in the morning and, and, and going to bed at, at 12 o'clock. At, you don't have that. You don't have the Yerushalayim. You don't have all of the all of the growth that's necessary. That you don't have, and that's a very important lesson for us to take from this. You
Now, I wanted to take it one step further. Notice that the Taisis Yishanim says that Miktas HaProchem Nisharu some of those flowers were still on the stick. The staff of Aaron still had not only the shkedim but also the prachim. Why? Because miktas prachim nisharu gamlu. Some of the flowers remained, and they did not. They did not sprout forth. They did not sprout forth. And I think that there's a very big lesson to that for us. Besides for the lesson that we just talked about, how to understand what a God of Israel is, the lesson for us is that we ourselves aspire, many of us, to be G'daylam in a certain sense. Whatever it is, G'daylam in Rabbanus, G'daylam in, in, in learning, G'daylam in uh, for Klai Yisrael, for Askanus, whatever it is, we want to attain greatness, many of us, if not all of us. The problem that we have is that when we have failures in our personal lives, we look at those failures as being the derailment of our future. We see it as being something that we have that makes us unworthy for godless. I can't be a god. I can never be or Meisha Feinstein, or Yaakov Kamenetsky, or a Stipler, or Chaim Kanievsky, or, 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 or one of my Rabbeim, or one of my Rabbonim. I can't do that. You know why? Because I have a very big Sahara, and I have been Nichshol in Averis, and, uh, and those, and, and those Gedalim never had those, those Tivis that I have. I have, I have Averis, and I'm so not proud of, and it's so difficult for me to live with them, and I, I, I bear them, very heavily every single day. I have this guilty conscience, and I see myself as being unworthy to be a God of Israel in any way. Who am I to be a God of Israel? Am, am I uh, am I Am I perfect? The Taisis Yishanim is telling us, I think, that even with Gedaila Yisrael, Gedaila Yisrael, they also have prachim that were nishar, that did not develop into shkedim, meaning they had things that they failed in. There were failed prachim, failed shkedim, shkedim that were supposed to develop, but they didn't win every single, not every shkedim, not every amen developed perfectly. Some remained in the, you know, unripe. Some remained as a flower. They didn't develop fully for some reason, which means that Godless is not determined by perfection. We don't believe that Gedali Yisrael are, um, are people that can never make a mistake. Gedali Yisrael are human beings that are blessed with a certain siyat d'shmaya and with uh, das with but they're not infallible. And a lot of the prochem might not grow, but as long as they win more battles than they lose, then they could still win the war. There's a very famous letter from Rav Hutner, possibly his most famous letter, and we've, sped, we've spoken about it countless times, and the letter basically um, speaks about a Talmud that he has who wrote him a letter and he basically was saying the same Vart that I just said. He's saying that I can't be a Gadol. I'm very depressed. 
I thought I'd be a gadol, but you know what? I'm not going to be a gadol because um, you know I did a certain avera, and I'm so not proud of it, and I don't know what to do about it, and I'm depressed, and and, and basically. Um, I can't be a gadol because uh, the gadolim were, were sort of perfect and I, I have this, uh, this terrible, guilty conscience of what I did wrong. So Rav Huttner says, in his beautiful way, and we don't have time to go over the whole letter, but basically he speaks about the mistake that this Bachar had made in believing what he had expressed to Rav Huttner in his letter. He says, HaKol Mesechachim, so everybody celebrates and, and, and is amazed and, and, and lifts up on a high banner the purity of speech that the Chavetz Chaim had. Everybody knows the Chavetz Chaim is synonymous with Shmir Salashen. So he's perfect. The Chavetz Chaim was perfect. says Who knows? Min all the Melchames, the battles that he had to wage, the Mavakim, the struggles, Amachshalim, the falls, Unafilais, Vanesigas Lacher, the retreats, how he had to retreat from battle sometimes, You don't understand, the Chavetz Chaim did not magically become the Chavetz Chaim. The Chavetz Chaim became the Chavetz Chaim because of a lot of struggles. Meaning, the Chavetz Chaim was not all Shkedim. He wasn't batting a thousand. Nobody in life ever bats a thousand. You can take the greatest baseball player in history. They're not batting a thousand. If they're great, they'll bat, they're, they're, they're going to bat maybe 500. They're not batting a thousand. It's impossible. Human beings don't bat a thousand. But as long as you win more than you lose, then that is your journey to godless. And, the, and, and Rav Huttner says more than that. Rav Huttner says that it's precisely when you're struggling with your Yitzhahara that you're the closest to being a gadol. Godless, he says, is not sitting poolside on main menuches in his Lashen with, by tranquil waters with your Gemara and everything is perfect. Godless is the struggle. It's the battle. It's the waging war against the Yitzhahara and sometimes losing. And from losing, you'll ultimately win. He says you can lose a battle and win the war and you can... You'll win the war by losing battles. Because by losing battles, you're learning more about the strategies to win the Sahara ultimately. He says a famous Varav Hutner on, on a Pasuk in Mishle, Sheva Yipol Tzadik Vikam. A Tzadik falls down seven times and he gets up and he says, foolish people think that the understanding of that verse, that Pasuk is, that a Tzadik is resilient he falls seven times, but yet he still manages somehow to get up from those fallings. So Rafutner says that's wrong. He says, you know what the real pshat in that pasuk is? Sheva yipol tzaddik. That tzaddik has seven nephilos. He has terrible downfalls. He, gave, he lost a battle last night to his Yetzirah. He watched something that he shouldn't have watched. And then he spoke Lashon Hara. And then he went to a place that he shouldn't have gone to. And then he was Mavatal Taira. And then he did this and he did that. The come from those battles that he had lost, from those Sheva Nephilis, from the fact that he fell seven times, that itself is where the Kima came from. His rising, his elevation, his becoming a Gadol precisely comes from the doing battles against the Eitzahara. 
We're closer to godless, ironically, when we have the failures in our life than we have the successes. At the end of the letter, you have to see this letter is such required reading, but at the end of the letter he says, Shvil HaKavid, Oiver Mistavev, the path to glory is a, a windy path. It's like a snake path. Like a snake on the, on the road. A snake is like a wiggly thing. If you go up to Masada, there's a snake path you have to take, right? If you take the monorail, that's an easy way to get up there. If you, take, if you want to hike up there, you've got to take what's called a snake path. It goes in a loopy way. He says, Rav Hutner says, that's how the road to honor and glory is arrived at. It's not a straight path. There has never been a gadol in history that had, he was brought up with a silver spoon in his mouth, everything was perfect, he had perfect rabbi and perfect, you know, it doesn't happen that way. The way that you attain godless is they have to go through wars, physical wars, sometimes, a lot of times, um, neshama wars, yetzahara wars, political wars, they have to fight a lot of battles, and from those battles they became strengthened, they became steeled in battle, and that's how they were able to find their way to greatness. Greatness is not just the shkedim. If you think that all of our, all of our life we're just going to grow almonds and everything is going to be perfect, not the way it happens. The Taishishanim says that there were many prachim on Aaron's staff that did not become shkedim. He had failures in life. Not everything always develops perfectly like we plan it. But that's also what made Aaron Aaron. The shkedim came from the fact that he had those failures and yet he was still able to transcend them to become Aaron, to see the shkedim. He didn't, he didn't abandon his course because he had some failures. He was able to develop shkedim because he had the patience with himself in order to say that, okay, I failed, this only stopped at a parach, it didn't develop into shkedim, but I'm still going to develop shkedim despite that. Look what happened with Aaron Akayin himself in his own life. He had, uh, he had a terrible uh, fall. When it came to the Chet Egel, he was held responsible, partially responsible for perhaps arguably one of the worst Averis in human history, the Chet Egel. That was a terrible, that was a flower that didn't develop into, a, into an am, but he didn't let it get him down. He still became Aaron Akayin. He became the Kayin Gadol in spite of that. And so these are, this is like perhaps the most critical lesson that we can take on our way to Godless. The first part of the Shmuz was the understanding of the Briskarov in a philosophical way to realize that a gadol is not just the shkedim, but it's the development process of the sh- to get to the shkedim. Now I'm saying another thing, that as we are on our own road to godless, don't let the prochem that did not develop into shkedim get you down. Don't say, I'm not worthy. If anyone says that I'm not worthy, then it's like the vart of the kutzker, that yish das, yish is das. If you have yish, in life, it's shalem, you're, you're, you're crazy. You're not using your mind if you have yish. Yish is when you turn off your brain, you just say, I give up, and that's it. I'm a failure, I'm a loser, I, I have no, there's no, no hope for me, all hope is lost. A winner is somebody that says, yes, I have failed, I have failed miserably, but I'm going to take that bad experience that I had, and I'm going to grow shkedim out of it. I'm going to continue my growth process 
not in spite of it, but because of it. My kima, my rising, will come from my shevanafilis. And that is the ultimate way to, uh, to understand what we have to do in life. Whatever we have, we have a lot of, we all have guilty consciences over things that we have done wrong. We're not proud of them. We do tshuva on them. But from the tshuva, we develop into greater people. That's the way life is. If you look at in the Gaisha world, um, Thomas Edison. Thomas Edison is perhaps the greatest inventor of all time. Look what, um, what happened because of his invention of the light bulb. You're able, how much, how much schar maybe does he have in Shemaim? If he would have, have Kavan Lashem Shemaim, how much schar does he have? All, the, all of the uh, light bulbs in every base medrash in the world, you know, allowing people to have Asmada because of Thomas Edison. All of the, uh, I would have said Zoom, but uh, today I'm not a big Zoom fan because it's uh, failing on me a lot. But, um, but that's, uh, you know, all of, all of the positive power of, of electricity. Yeah, tremendous, a tremendous election, t- tremendous uh, invention. Before he developed the light bulb, he tried 300 times to develop light bulbs in different formats. And he was never successful. He failed 300 times, Thomas Edison, before he finally came up with a light bulb that worked. And people would make fun of him, even after he developed the light bulb, though he said, eh, you know, 300 times, what's, what's your issue? He says, you, you failed 300 times, you're a loser. He says, no, no, no. He says, I didn't, find, I didn't fail 300 times. I found 300 ways that the light bulb did not work. I needed to go through all those phases. I needed to know how it didn't work. The filament, if it was in this direction, if it was hanging, if it was low, if it was high, that's the way that it didn't work. That was a, that was, is that a failure? That's a success. If you just stop and say, man, this light bulb isn't working, you know, and just throw your hat in, throw, throw, the, throw in the towel and say, it's it. I'm, 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 you know, I'm done. I'm not doing this. That's a failure. But if you say, no, it's so interesting that this didn't work, but I think I cop why it didn't work. It didn't work because it wasn't put the right way, or maybe the shape wasn't the right way, or maybe I didn't have enough, uh, you know, the metal was the wrong metal that I was using. Let's try a different type of metal, different filament, a different glass, until he got it right. Those 300 times were not failures. Those were necessary stepping stones to succeed. Kimat, every successful person that you'll ever read about in life are people that met with tremendous failures. Their businesses went bankrupt a hundred times before they finally, you know, found one that worked or their inventions didn't work until they found a way that to make it work or, uh, you know, they, you know, Nobel Prize winner until, until Einstein developed his theory of relativity. Who knows how many times he, you know, he, 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 he was not able to figure out the formula are those failures? Those are not failures. Those were ways of like pruning the trees to develop the shkedim that would ultimately sprout. The failures are successes if you look at them the right way. If you look at your Yetzirah pulling you down and making you crazy, and because of that you get depressed, and then the Yetzirah really has won and you have really failed. But if you're able to sort of get up be resilient and say, I'm going to learn from my Yitzhahara, from my, from my Nefilos. I'm going to learn from the Prachim that were Nishar Prachim, 
from the ones that didn't develop into Shkedim, I'm going to learn more than the Shkedim themselves. If everything works out perfect, if the Shkedim develop perfectly, it's not a kunz. I don't, I don't really learn so much about myself that way. I just, you know, I was born with a silver spoon in my mouth. I learned, I went to yeshiva, I, I, I was a nice masman, I, I got a shtella, everything is perfect. That's not a, that's not a life that's, that's so impressive. A life that's impressive is somebody that struggles with all types of handicaps, all types of challenges, whether they're physical, whether they're emotional, whether they're Yetzirah handicaps, whether they're war, um, his, you know, different, uh, different situational handicaps that a person finds themselves, and they're able to be miscabra over them and, and triumph over them, that's when a person attains true godless. And so we took today two major Yisaitis from the Pasuk, speaking about the Prachim and the Tzitzin and the Shkedim, the Briskarav who brings the, um, the Taisi Yishanim that some of them did not develop, and the point of that, as the Briskarav says, was so that you see the actual Pricha, which was part of the Simon, and, and I think I gave two really good Pshatim in explaining the, the understanding of that, the deep understanding of why those Prachim were necessary to still remain on the Mata for all time. Because it's a lesson for us, a twofold lesson, to understand that a gadol is a gadol not just because of what you see before your eyes, but all of the amelos and the pricha and the tzitzin and everything that went into those years of creating the gadol, and also to understand that the, that road to godless is not a perfect one. There's many nefilas, there's many nesiyinus along the way. There's many failures. There's many times that we are completely devastated by what we've done. We've done the worst Averis in the world, possibly, sometimes. And we are utterly disappointed with ourselves, and we question the very foundations of our existence. If I'm a Ben Tyra, how did such a thing happen? It's a good question. And the answer is one of two. One. Either you could say, you're right, it's a, it's a teku, and it's a pirch on me, it's a tiyuf on me, and, and therefore I'm, I'm just going to coast the rest of my life. I'm not going to attain godless, ever. Or fakert, it's going to be the greatest motivator. You're going to say, yeah, I, I failed, but watch what I'm going to do now. The sheva yipal tzadik vikam. My rising, my greatness will come precisely because I'm going to do battle again and again, and I'm going to win, I'm going to triumph, I'm going to prevail. I may have lost that battle, but I will win the war. And Mr. Hashem, if we're able to do that, we will have a tremendous life. We will be able to be machshev gedailim, and we'll be able to personally develop into the gedailim that we're all expected to become. Have a wonderful Shabbos, and uh, 